0: Talking to your kids about your cancer on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Heath Lambert and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. A painfully common problem that we experience in a fallen world is the diagnosis of cancer. And that diagnosis can become even more painful when the diagnosis comes to a parent who needs to talk to their children, particularly their young children, about the problem. On this edition of Truth and Love, we want to think through this issue with a special guest, Tim Keeter. Tim Keeter is a counselor who's certified with ACBC, And he is an elder at Grace Community Church. He also is a cancer survivor who walked through this very dilemma of receiving the diagnosis, of sharing that diagnosis with his children. And he spoke on this topic at one of ACBC's regional counseling and discipleship trainings. On this edition, I want you to hear a portion of that testimony that he gave at that ACBC event in New York, where he explains his diagnosis of cancer and the way he explained it to his kids. Here is Tim Keeter.
1: Last September, I went to a physical, and the doctor's feeling around the neck, and he goes, this feels kind of weird on the side of you, neck. I'm going to send you for an ultrasound. I'll admit my initial response was I was agitated, that I would have to take yet some more time off work to drive through the busiest portion of town. And I get an ultrasound. Uh, but I did. you know. And that happened a couple of days later. The results came back pretty quickly. Um, uh, and then I went to an ear, nose, and throat specialist because it was in my thyroid, the left side of my thyroid. It turns out there were two masses in my thyroid. Uh, the biopsy revealed that they indeed were cancerous. Uh, and in particular, one kind is a very rare form. A very rare form that uh, if, it had, if it gets loose, is considered fairly intreatable. It's called a herthal cell. The other kind is papillary form. Uh, you learn these things, right? Uh, you don't want to spend too much time on WebMD, but you have to learn some of the words they're throwing around at you. And it's fairly common, and they're usually they're pretty good at, at, at dealing with that particular kind of cancer. Of all cancers, to get thyroid is one of the more successfully treated ones out there in general. The herthel again, was a little bit scary to get and to hear about that. Um, those results came back, actually, a little bit longer than that, right? The biopsy results came back on Wednesday, October 1st. That was a difficult time. We hadn't really told the boys yet, uh, and we had shared it with some of our elders to pray, certainly. We just didn't think it was much of anything, and we didn't want to alarm a lot of people otherwise. But we also asked them to keep it off social media and other things like that, you know, because we didn't want our kids finding out like that either. Uh, The only only thing I did do is I called Ella, because Ella was in college. Ella was in school, and I didn't want to have to share with her any difficult news over a telephone, uh, coupled by the fact that Ella's our niece, uh, after the, the birth of our second child, the Lord closed the womb. My wife had to have a full hysterectomy. And then a few years later, about three years later, he took Ella's mom home to be with her. She was 41, and she had cancer. Um, and that's how the Lord gave us a daughter. Sweet little eight-year-old, uh, live counselee, uh, came to live with us. And it's wonderful to hear her testimony and her walk with the Lord. So, She was kind of the, uh, oh, no, not again, what are we doing here Uh, type of response because it was four months after her mom's diagnosis. Uh, Very different situation from mine. Very different, but nevertheless, very real to her. Um, uh, This was also particularly difficult for me to process because on the 5th, I had plane tickets to go to Los Angeles to the ACBC (laughs) conference, which I was so looking forward to um, you know, it was my ministry. I'm ready to go. And then I was supposed to be in Jacksonville and possibly here or somewhere else. I can't remember. Um, and so on, on pre-op, I re- they didn't know when they were going to get me in for a surgery. And then they called me and said, we got you in. You know, it's always like, we're going we're to see you in four months, you know, and then they call you back and they squeezed you in the following Monday. I was to have surgery. Um, and it was kind of, you know, that Friday I called, called Sean. <laughs> You know, say, so, hey, I'm really thankful, Sean, that you're the director of a conference that celebrates the sovereignty of God. <laughs> and so I'm going to give you a chance to practice that right now, brother. And, uh, you know, it, it's just during these things, it was just neat when people found out who just called and, and, and prayed. So I want to share with you, intermixed with this outline, which I borrowed. I'm going to use this outline from Steve Byers. Um, I, I want to intermingle with you what, during these different times of uncertainty and progression of dealing with this... What ministered to me and my family the most? Because we wonder, right? We, we, you know, we we know the biblical truth, and we don't know. We don't want to come across sounding pat or trivial, or you know, or, or just weird. And we don't we don't know how what always works best unless we've been there and we've experienced it. And we don't want to irritate people or any of those other things. So I just I took note along the way when I had nothing left to cling on. What were we clinging to? What really helped the most? And again, um, for you to be impressed with our Lord and, and not us. Uh, ten one was hard. That's when we went home to see, uh, to tell, to break the news for our boys. And I'll share with you how that went. Um, you know, we we basically answered questions that came up. Had to keep my oldest son off the internet. He already found like a trial for me the next day to sign up for. <laughs> so uh, he's lo- he's gonna be like his dad. I think he's gonna be an engineer. Poor guy. So um. Uh, we talked to the teachers so they would know how to be compassionate if the boys needed a moment during class and, and look for evidence that they were handling things okay. I think the hardest thing for me is, um, you know, went surgery, took the left out, found indeed that it, it was there and that it had spread uh, to a lymph node. So that took me to stage three uh, right away. So here we are, you know, boom, 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 as the evidence is coming out of what was the reality. So they took the other half out. Don't know why they just didn't take it all out at once. That's beyond me. And then they scheduled for me to heal from that. And uh, at the end of December, I uh, went and swallowed three very radioactive pills and got locked in a room for three days. <laughs> um guy would come in with a mask and a Geiger counter and go, nope, not today, and then leave. Um, and then I went home for some more, more um, quarantine during that time. During that full-body scan afterwards, they found three more lymph nodes that had been infected. So it had continued to spread uh, as we go through. Where do we begin during the initial news, and where do we begin during? Because the worst part about a lot of this up front is just not knowing. It's the uncertainty, you know. And there's some certainty, not certainty, but there's sometimes we hold on to other things that we shouldn't hold on to either. And well-meaning, we, we try to tell them, hey, well, you know, it's not a bad cancer to have. They do really good, you know. You know, all along, it's like, hey, 95% of these things are nothing, you know. Like, well, I'm, I ended up being that 5%. Well, you know, 97% of these things are very treatable. Great, I got to be the other 3%. Well, you guys stop quoting statistics to me. I'm an engineer. I hate statistics. You know, statistics are simply an indication of the way God normally works through this particular disease. The only statistic that really matters is the one that's 100%, and that's his providence, right? It will be what it will be. Um, So what do we do? How do we process that? And how do we work through that with people? I think we begin with encouraging biblical honesty. Asaph in Psalm 73, a good example, the Psalms just cry out all the emotions for us and they teach us things like this. And you see Asaph being honest about how he's feeling about things. In an inspired text, he's saying, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. He's talking about the wicked and how they're doing things. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And down later, he said, after he goes through explaining all that he's going through and how they are continuing to be prosperous, and yet they're doing terrible things, he says this, When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. It was troublesome to me. We want to encourage those who suffer to acknowledge the confusion and hurt we don't want to encourage them to give glib answers and put on plastic smiles. We don't want them to wallow in it, but we want them to be biblically honest. And so the question is this, are we comfortable allowing our counselees to talk like Asaph? Or do we step right and go, no, 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 you need to trust God? You have no reason, A Christian has no reason to be depressed or down or worried, worry is sin. Let me pull my notes out from you from session four. Um, Do we create a safe place for them to express their suffering honestly? And, of course, we don't stop there, but we enter into that with them. And, by the way, we're the church. We suffer with them. We suffer with them. We want them to cry out to God. Just like Asaph. So we're not questioning his character. So when we do this, we don't cry out to question his character, but simply to acknowledge our weakness, to acknowledge our unbelief. Very similar to just saying, I don't get it. I don't get this. I really can't put two and two together on what's going on right now and where this is headed. And just letting the Lord know, I'm struggling with this. I, I want to know, and I'm scared, and this is hard, and we need to do. And we, you know what? We can do that with confidence. Hebrews 4.16 says, we can do it with confidence because of our Savior Drawing near to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's our time of need, to draw near, to express that to Him, to cry out to Him. And it's through the process of our pain, of our counseling's pain, that we understand more of God's mercy and grace. It's those times when our hearts are ripe for learning. It's the milieu of life in which we really, really learn. Um, It's the Scripture that teaches us but it's the milieu of life where it really becomes personal to us more than, more so than not it's when we get a chance to exercise wisdom and learn where we need to repent we come to love it more when we see it for what it is and we come to depend upon it more praise the Lord for that praise the Lord for that in our family this was a very important thing to me and my family to encourage and teach especially the boys that night especially in the beginning when there were so many unknowns it was a big theme that first night with them to be biblically honest, to be honest to the Lord, to suffer honestly, and to, to cry and to express those things in a way that called out to God for strength, not in a way, of course, that charged him with wrongdoing. And I think it was during that stage three revelation that hit me the hardest, right? Because if you are watching statistics, it's kind of like stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. Um, you just don't want to get there if you can help it. Now, I do remember in my own bed. Many nights with tears, praying to God to let me just raise my boys and to do great things. You know, when we in churches, it's good to preach and teach and learn about God's sovereignty. But we don't want to let that scare us into asking God to do great things and to heal. That, that does not go against recognizing that. These are my desires, Lord. Christ did that in the garden. And yet he gives us a great example for how we say, not, you know, not my will certainly, but yours. But, but I'm, I'm asking you to do great things. I'm asking you for healing. I'm asking you to at least hold on for me long enough to, to raise my boys. I want to finish that work. I want to do that. And for certainly, if he did choose to take me home, for my children not to become embittered, I'd say that's a great fear of mine to struggle with, to not become embittered against the Lord for that. Of course, we had the great encouragement from Ella being with us and having seen her Redeemer's work in her life through that time. But we want to encourage biblical honesty. We want to encourage hope in God. Again, I don't want that to sound pat and trivial to you. We can have a tendency to, to to grab on and hope in a lot of things. We can have a tendency to want to hope in statistics. And in things we read, and in things other people tell us, well, you know, my aunt had it, and she's doing great now. Those are wonderful things to hear. Those are wonderful testimonials. But our hope is not in those things. Our hope is in God. Psalm 149.4, For the Lord takes pleasure in His people, and He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. We want to rejoice because God because God offers us something infinitely better than raw fairness. He offers us What? Grace. He offers us himself. I don't, I'm glad God's not fair. I don't need fair. I need benevolent sovereignty. I need benevolent sovereignty. Psalm 149.4 teaches us that we need to allow suffering. And we want to encourage those who suffer. To take this time to deepen their walk with God. To allow their suffering to deepen their walk with God. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord always, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful when we have no other choice, because <laughs> I'm pretty hard headed sometimes. So I, sometimes I need God to just strip it all away and say, "Here you go. This is the only thing you got to grab onto." Second Corinthians one, we read this all the time, where it talks about. You know, the God of all mercy, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions so that we can comfort others and we look ahead and look for opportunities to say, Yes, the Lord will help me minister to those. But look at the beginning, don't neglect what we see at the beginning. He is the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. We hope in God because there is no real comfort apart from Him. Testimonials are great, statistics are cool sometimes. Reading about medical advances are okay, other things. But if it's real comfort, it comes from God. He is the God of all your comfort. So even if the statistics are not good, even if the the testimonies are not good, your Redeemer stands ready to comfort you. Yeah, sure, it'd be great to, to, to be able to comfort somebody else down the road. But it's my Redeemer who's my comfort. This was my prelude, by the way, to telling the boys to hope in God when we sat down with them. We talk a lot about, you know, uh, some of these things. And, and um, I, I got a lot of this from Jerry Bridges, the very opening of his wonderful book, Trusting in God. And so we sat down, we called a little family meeting, right, after my wife and I gathered ourselves over lunch and thanked the Lord um, for his goodness and asked for wisdom. It was kind of a rough situation, too, because a friend from, from that we hadn't seen in years discovered us right when we sat down. That is not the time for a reunion. Because <laughs> you don't want to sit there and go, my husband's got cancer, you know, or any of that other kind of stuff. Where You know, just shock them with that. They were just like, hey, I'd see you. What are you doing? You know, and so, uh, you know, that was the Lord's doing there. But we came home. We decided how we were going to approach this. And we'd asked everybody to stay off social media until we had a chance to sit down with them. And we'd let them know. And we said, hey, listen, guys, we sat them down because they're kind of like, okay, Dad, what? You know, family meeting, whatever's going on. Hey, we talk a lot about how God is perfect in his love for us, right? What does that mean? So, they're, you know, well, that means that he always wants what's best for us. us. That's right. That's right. Isn't that wonderful? He always wants what's best for us. Not just that, but not only does God always want what's best for us, not only is he perfect in love, he's infinite in his wisdom. So, so boys, what does that mean? It means that not only does he want what is best for us, he what? Well, Dad, he, he knows what is best for us. So That's great. That's exactly right. And we, we're so encouraged by that. But I got one more. You know how we also talk about how God is completely sovereign. So what does that mean? My little engineer speaks up. Well, Dad, it means that not only does God always want what is best for us, and not only does he always know what is best for us, he will always bring it about. When? Always, Dad. No matter how severe the situation. Yes, Dad. Always. Good. Because I'm going to give you a chance to practice that right now. That was a hard conversation. But we, we didn't know what to do but just comfort them in honesty. And we wanted them to look to the Lord for their comfort. It was a weird situation to be in, to be dealing with this internally And with a wife who's got that look on her face and she's dealing with turmoil inside and to try to be parenting. But what a neat, neat moment for our home. Not enjoyable, but God was there. So, what really helped me the most early on was this. If I had to put a giant star in your notes for you, it'd be this right here. I didn't know a lot of things, I didn't know where this thing was headed. We didn't know how long things were going, how far things had spread beyond that. We still don't know. But the one thing we can give comfort in is that I know God. And that's it. I don't have to know how the statistics are going to work. By the way, it was really kind of a a cruel twist. I'm 46 now. I was 45 when I got diagnosed. All the stats break at 45. So in my little analytical mind, I'm like, I'm the three sigma on both of those and it just doesn't help. But knowing God, you know, think about First John, where it talks about children and the in the in the young uh, people, and then it says fathers. And it says all these things about the children and the young and, and, the, and the young people, and then it says fathers. You know Him who's from the beginning. That's it. You know Him, especially when I didn't know much. Knowing God is what really makes His promises a comfort. We we can we can look at Romans eight twenty eight twenty nine, and we can be reminded of that. We've taught it. We quote it. But it means nothing to me without knowing the God who informs that promise, who backs that promise. That's the real comfort. Not an empty or trite quote. It covers everything to rest on His character. Everything. Even when everything else is unstable and turbulent. The Lord brought us to pray. I don't have anything else to hold on to. All I have is Christ above all things. And we cried to Him. Let that be enough. Lord, let that be enough. And it is. It is enough. Not only that that I know him, J.I. Packer reminds us that the beauty in our relationship with the Lord is that he knows us. Listen to this I am graven on the palms of his hands, I'm never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eyes off me or his attention distracted from me and no moment, therefore, when his care falters.
0: Amen. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. If you would like to hear the rest of Tim Keeter's testimony, you can visit us at www.biblicalcounseling.com and go to our store. We've made that available as a free resource to you, and you can search for Tim Keeter and find it. We also want to invite you to attend one of our regional counseling and discipleship trainings that we host at ACBC. You can find information about that at our website as well. This year we'll be visiting New York on March 18th to 19th, April 15th to 16th, and May 20th to 21st. We'd invite you to go to www.biblicalcounseling.com to find out more information.